Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hot Rod Lincolners, episode 149 of the 5 to Go Racing Podcast here, WSBRadio.com, GoPRN.com. And we are chock full today because Eric Von Hessler has been back after a uh, sabbatical and, and just other conflicts there. So we got to cover several uh, big time races that, uh, that, that Eric's gotten to see and hear his thoughts on those. The 2022 schedule officially just dropped today that includes uh, Homestead being in the playoffs, the LA Coliseum hosting the clash, the Bristol night race or the Bristol dirt race being on Easter night and a few other changes. Uh, there's a good, we just got to talk about what happened at Richmond and this tension between pu- racing purity and super wow entertainment as we get ready to go in Bristol that usually delivers. Also, silly seasons up with uh, Sheldon Creed going to the Xfinity series and a few other moves. A uh, Indy car driver that we've known for years is leaving his team and the big clash in Formula One between the two championship favorites. So a lot to cover right here. Doug Turnbull from the traffic team, Doug Fireball Turnbull, as some might say. Uh, we don't like to say the word fire very often around our building, so just be careful. Fireball, right? Uh, but I want the traffic team, and I get to be with the Performance Racing Network when they go to the uh, Roval race here coming up in just a few weeks. So joining us on the line, refreshed and back from vacation, Mr. Eric Von Hessler, host of the Daily Von Hessler Doctrine on 95.5 WSB every day, 9 to noon, and forever in cyberspace. How you doing, sir? I am well. Nice to be back. It's nice to have you back. I, my, my, I need to work on my intros, man. You're, you nail yours perfectly to the word every day. Uh, and well, my, I'm all the over the same, place online. I say the same <laughs> thing every day. It makes it easy. Just say <laughs> the same thing. Although I mean, I, I automatically don't have Sherwood I, Forest going here. So that's, uh, I'm sure most people don't even know that the neighborhood that, outside our studios is called that. Uh, and that, but uh, I love that you throw that in. Everybody just says Midtown. It's like, no, man, we're in Sherwood, Sherwood Forest. But yeah, the guy yeah. that is in the, Neighborhood of Speed in Dawsonville, Georgia, where some would say the birth of NASCAR was. It is Dawsonville Dan Elliott up there working in the shop today. How you doing, sir? Doing great, and glad everybody else is, and glad to have everyone in the house today. It is great, and we want to thank Bud Hughes from Bud's Garage on WDUN in Gainesville for joining us once or twice here when Eric's been out recently, and Eric, you've been a busy guy. You've been doing fulfillment lunches with our WSB Radio listeners for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta after, after our carathon at the end of July. Then you had a well-deserved vacation, so we're glad to have you back. And I want to just get right into business here. Since you've since you've been gone, we had really we've we've had the the Indy Road Course debacle there in mid August that ended up becoming a debacle after a really fun race. And then we had Michigan, where Ryan Blaney became a multi-time winner for the first time, and that race had a late caution. And a, Thrilling restart. And then we get into Daytona, where that was also won by Ryan Blaney, but it was the regular season closer, and you had several drivers, including Corey LaJoy, Ross Chastain, and a few others, Chris Busher, that were very close to winning that race and take, you know, poaching the spot in the playoffs there and kicking Tyler Reddick out. And then the drama between Reddick and Dylan, the teammates, as who was going to get in on points. And then Darlington, which was more of a classic, a Saturday night or Sunday night before Labor Day classic there where Denny Hamlin broke his 0 for 26 streak this season and went into victory lane in a classic Joe Gibbs racing battle with his teammate Martin Truex Jr., who won this weekend at Richmond. Breaking what had been a kind of winless streak that goes back into the Phoenix or uh, go back goes back into earlier this season. So all that being said, Eric, there's a lot to unpack. What have you thought about here in this kind of classic set of races since you've been gone? Well, I think the racing has been uh, pretty good. Uh, I mean, we'll get into uh, Richmond in a minute, I guess. I thought that people are being a little hard on that race. Daytona as the final race of the regular season. Uh, I'm a little torn on it because obviously 
it's uh, it's entertaining to watch that kind of racing, uh, and and it's a big deal, and it's a, and who's going to get in, who's not going to get in, all of that. Um, but on the other hand, I wonder if it's really the best way to judge who should be in the playoffs, because we all know that what we still call plate racing is, you know, it's not all, there's a lot of luck involved. Not, I mean, you got to be good to be there, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that can just happen by circumstance that, you know, put you in the top five, top 10, things like that. But, certainly a lot more bad luck to be had than good luck too, right? <laughs> that's that's yeah, the thing yeah. I think that gets people bent sometimes. But I think NASCAR's probably correct and they're going to stick with it on the fact that it's you put people on that track and then you go for the last 20 laps and people are going to be in or they're going to be out in the playoffs um it works i just don't know you know does it does it necessarily produce the 16 that uh should always be there but you know that's always a problem playoffs and tv is king so if it works on tv that that means that it's going to work i thought that uh, darlington was a classic nascar race uh, very fun. And I, and then after the last one, I'm beginning to start to, you know, we were talking about, you know, where's JGR throughout the season. They're, they're obviously always second best. Denny Hamlin, you know, having all those great finishes, but not winning a race. And now all of a sudden, you know, boom, boom, back to back, we've got JGR winners. Yeah. So it's making me wonder, you know, uh, is this going to be a very different looking playoffs than than we thought going in and i'm 50 50 on that i'm not i'm not deciding that it's yeah. going to be but obviously uh it's a little bit of a surprise to me though it shouldn't be when you look at how well denny hamlin for instance even though not winning uh throughout the year until the playoffs how well he ran so there was yeah, for sure there, obviously it, it's really easy, and Denny Hamlin went the long stretch without scoring any uh, stage wins either, without getting any playoff points, but had such a great regular season, and it gets covered up because it's like that that the Matt Kenseth 2003-esque season of 7th, 7th, 6th, 5th, 7th, 8th, over right. and over again, just doesn't stand out. It doesn't reward you as much. Uh, and I mean, Kyle Larson had a similar deal going. It's just he'd pop up and, and won those several races in a row and, and score more stage points and stage wins and was able to uh, take the regular season title away from for Denny Hamlin there, which seemed insurmountable in the late part of the spring. Hey, Dan, so let's let's talk about Richmond, buddy. You, you, you know, you and I have been debriefing on these races weekly, but uh, Richmond comes around here. And I can't say personally that I was surprised that it was a mostly clean and green race. But I, I got, I always walk away with a different impression of a race when I listen to it on the radio. I, I was invited to a bonfire Saturday night with some friends we hadn't seen in a long time. And I mean, I didn't opt to stay home and watch TV. I was like, no, you got to be outside on the, the, probably the most perfect Saturday night of the year in Atlanta. And so, I, but I listened to the whole thing. I kind of had it going in the background. I was not antisocial. And I, especially in the first two stages and coming to the end of the stages, I heard tons of lead changes, heard drama, heard the Kurt Bush crash. And and then I go and see what people are saying about the race, Dan, afterwards, and it's boo hiss. And the, so the character of Richmond, Dan, has changed since it used to be more classic short track. Like, what, what's your impression been lately, and particularly this past Saturday night in the Cup Series? You know, it's like I told you. I think it comes down to me to the fact that the cars just can't do the racing as we're used to in the past. It's it's all different to me anymore, especially since the cars are so aero-dependent and you really can't even lean on somebody for a 
position change. You can't swap numbers or do the things I think that you used to do because anything that you do to the car, and, and this is where it factors in, is when Richmond kind of changed the length from a half mile to the to the configuration it is now, it changed forever more the racing at Richmond to me because of the fact of you need an arrow car at Richmond, even though yeah. that you, you're still considered a short track, it is very much arrow dependent. And you saw how close the competition was at Richmond. And I think that's what to me made it such a good race is the fact that these cars ran extremely close, but them being arrow dependent, it's, it's like used to be said, you know, I can run down the car in front of me, but what am I going to do when I get to it? Because the air is so dirty that you really need for them to make a mistake in front of you. And that's why I think a lot of people think the racing may not be what they think it should be. It's just the fact of we've, we've kind of changed and, and I don't think it'll ever be. It's kind of like pre COVID and, and post COVID. I don't think things will ever be the way they were again. Well, but for sure. And I mean, that's the cars are more stuck to the track. That's the complaint I hear more and more again. If you have a little bit less power and they're right stuck on the ground, it's, it's, they're stuck in the, the slot, so to speak. They can't, you know, they're not, they, for them to be efficient, they, they can't just be rough and tumble. You think about like a Jimmy Spencer or someone just like, oh, I'm going to go attack that corner. It's, it's a little bit different than that. It's a lot more finesse and momentum there. That race won by Martin Truex Jr., who jumped the start at the beginning of the race, by the way, or NASCAR <laughs> ruled he did. He sure didn't think he did, but uh, he, he said he had no choice. And he drove through the field. And these so he got he pitted under green, and because they had a competition caution, essentially, he didn't even lose a lap because it was just a pass-through penalty. But he still has to make up all that track position. And then Kyle Larson, for the second race in the row, starting in the back, just drives right on up to the front. And, and he was not a factor as far as leading the race, but Larson was very competitive through the night there. And so, you know, with the championship standings, he's able to secure his spot in the next round. And the other two drivers that for sure are going to go at Lee Bristol and be in the round of 12 are the two winners that join Larson, which are Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. Eric, your impressions from Saturday night, including uh, people that may be trending the wrong way uh, or some surprises to you too. Well, uh, well, yeah, obviously as I brought up before, um, JGR is stronger than I expected coming out of the playoffs because it's been a very, you know, Hendrick success kind of year i mean what is uh bowman's won three races uh how many has byron won one or two yeah but byron won at homestead he's won the one and then of course right. larson has the five wins chase elliott with two chase elliott with two and then kyle larson winning what, uh seven six six five, five six oh five five races the reason, and the all-star race yeah the, uh, the reason mm-hmm. that i don't because uh, i i really truly believe that you move the needle an inch here or there and that guy wins eight or nine he, he blew a tire on the last lap of one of them. He okay. uh, had uh, two speeding penalties or something in another one that he was dominating. So I just expected, I think I said here before, uh, I threw Kyle Busch in there. I thought it was going to be between Chase and the two Kyles. And I threw Kyle Busch in from JGR, not based on what JGR necessarily was showing or what I was seeing, but just based on the fact that he's Kyle Busch. <laughs> and I figured he's just going to come to life and and and, and do something. So uh, I'm a little surprised with the uh, JGR. Well, you can't call it dominant. It's only two races, but in those two races. And uh, uh, now I think people are being maybe a little too harsh on that race 
the other yeah. night in Richmond. I, I think it's just because of the last thing that you see. So I think it was really the last stage was kind of boring. But yeah, and there were nine I, cars I on the lead was, lap, and Hamlin yeah. was only catching Truex in the very end. I mean, that's yeah, and that's generally but what, that generally exciting races get judged the same way, right? If you you yeah. know Darlington two thousand three could have stunk, but then Craven and Bush, and I don't remember what the rest of the race is like. Craven and Bush that had the closest finish in NASCAR history at the time, right? So it's yeah, it so is I, tough. Yeah, so but the whole that, book so, to me was pretty good. Yeah, I thought that the first two stages were I, I I thought that they were fun to watch, and then it became a little bit of a a little boring in that last stage. But listen, all races are not going to be you know beaten and banging until you get to the end. If that, if 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 that's the only thing that's going to satisfy us is that uh, the winner wins by an inch or two, and they're banging coming out of four. Well, I mean, that's that standard is too high. It's racing. You're going to yeah. get races like that from time to time. But I found that, uh, you know, I was entertained by most of the race on on uh, Sunday, Sunday, Saturday, which was Saturday. Um, Saturday so night, I, yes. Overall, I, I kind of enjoyed it. It wasn't the greatest race of all time, but it wasn't the worst race of all time either. Uh, de- definitely, definitely. I hear you on that. So uh, coming in, just to kind of sum things up, leaving Richmond there, uh, playoff implications going to Bristol. And Bristol is, is such a uh, – the thing that's wild card about Bristol is that sometimes you can have these clean green races or you can have the barn burner like we had post the COVID shutdown last June when they had the Bristol race that was made up for being missed in March where – where it was just, or made made up from the April race into June, where it was just a, uh, I mean, I say bloodbath, whatever. It was, it was an absolute uh, smash mouth race. Where, you know, Joey Logano and Chase Elliott wrecking at the end, and and, jo- and uh, all that kind of stuff that unfolded there. It, or it could be a race that's really clean and green, and so, something that people criticize Bristol about. For those that don't know, I mean, I'm sure you do, but just in case, this Bristol will be on the concrete, right? It's not going to be. <laughs> It's not going to be a dirt race. They've gotten the dirt all out of there and done multiple series that are raced on that dirt. It will be dirt again next year. We'll talk about the 2022 schedule in a moment. But looking at the playoffs, you know, the, the driver must win mode. It's pretty much got to be Michael McDowell. You see William Byron in second to last place. And let me highlight, let me look at the points here so I can make sure and get the cutoffs right. So Kurt Busch is tied or, uh, is, the driver in 12th place, he's tied with Alex Bowman because he has the better finish of the two within the round. That's the tiebreaker is how you finished in that round. So Bush having a great finish at Darlington, Bowman having two lousy races. They're tied in points, but Bush is considered 12th. So to go from Kurt Bush back to where William Byron is, that is 98 to 116. That is, that is only 18 points, but it's Byron's got to climb over three drivers to advance. His teammate Alex Bowman is tied with Bush there. So he has a little bit better positioning. And then Tyler Reddick's in between them. Tyler Reddick's only five points out. And then, and it's really tight just ahead of them, too, really all the way up. If any of the drivers, you know, Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, who's had two disappointing finishes in a row, and Eric Almirola, if any of them have a bad pit stop under green or something like that and lose 10, 15 positions, they're right there in a bad spot, especially if they don't get stage points at the beginning. So that, that's kind of where it shakes out. Uh, but boys, let me ask you one by one before we move on to some other things. Uh, Eric, you first. Surprises in the playoffs there for people that haven't performed or maybe have overperformed. Uh, well, I mean, I I don't want to be harsh on uh, <laughs> Bowman and Byron, but until <laughs> they show me, until they show me championship swagger, um, I would be more surprised at them going further and further, even though 
They're in some of the best equipment, obviously. So, um, and I can't say that uh, uh, um, McDowell is a, a surprise, right? I mean, one Daytona. Yeah. Um, that's uh, again making my point about what we still call plate racing. Sometimes you have he's a great plate racer. Don't get me wrong. It's not it's not an oddity, but you know, not exactly someone who's going to be competitive on in non restrictor plate. Even though I know we're calling it that, and it's not that those kind of races, super speedway races. Um, so that's not too much of a surprise. Uh, I think that uh, NASCAR is getting what they want, though, right? They're setting up the perfect storm. You have uh, the Bristol beating and banging, uh, high bank, short track, uh, bullring type of type of situation, and a lot of competitive drivers on the bubble, right? So right. a lot a, a lot of people with a lot to lose, um, and so I think that they're we're, we're going to get. I don't know if we're going to get a great race, a good race, or simply a spectacle that we'll talk about for a while. But I think that they're, they're brewing up something pretty big for Bristol. Hey, I want to point something out here before we go to you, Dan. Eric Almarola is on the good side of the cut line, despite having two mediocre races. He ran well early at Darlington and evaded. And then he had kind of a nothing night at Richmond that included a pit road penalty or some kind of mishap on a green flag stop. He's he's there in the eleventh of points, and then Kevin Harvick. So much was made, and and rightfully that he's winless, that he has zero playoff points the entire season, that he entered the playoffs sixteenth, literally behind Michael McDowell, behind Tyler Reddick, right? And he's just sitting there. And again, it's so close, it's hard to even point at positions. But he's sitting there sixth in points after these two races. He entered sixteenth. Veteran. <laughs> because Harvick, even he, even though he had a dog of a race or had a problem on pit road at Darlington and had to make that unscheduled green flag stop, they make so many pit stops or tires, it just got them off sequence a little bit. And he was able to still salvage a good finish in Darlington and finish in the top ten. Here he is, six in points now. I, I think Kevin Harvick is prime material to overperform for two rounds of these playoffs here. That's just me. But, Dan, who are sure, some of your – Sure, but do, do you ahead. think that the, the Fords overall have a, have the ability to walk away with a championship this year? I don't know about that. Uh, uh, well, not not on straight performance and numbers, but on, on you know, get a win at the right time, and there you are. Again, this time of the playoffs last year, Chase Elliott, we're like, yeah, dirt on him. Another, <laughs> he'd, he'd had, yeah. He had a pretty poor beginning to his playoffs last year, but was high enough True. in points to advance. So it's so tough to say. I mean, it, Penske and Stuart Haas definitely have not looked like they can go round for round with Gibbs and Hendrick. However, if you do what Kevin Harvick has done all year, this guy's still with the third most top tens in the Cup Series. If you do that, that gets you solidly to the round of eight. And that's more, when you right. look at his record, that's more than you would expect, considering no wins, no playoff points. That's, you know, and he's, and he's well, doing be, exactly what I thought, two races in. But Just wondering if it's possible without winning a race that Harvick could, could get into the, the top four. It wouldn't be possible, would it? I think it technically would be possible, but very hard. I mean, when you look at the playoff yeah, points, I, I just think like Larson has 38, Truex has 25, and Blaney has 19. Right. Right? I'm just so, a fantasy in my mind. I think it would be hilarious if somehow he could pull it off to win the whole thing by only winning one race, the last one. <laughs> that would be hilarious to see because it would go completely against why we changed what the right. what the championship looks like. Um, but obviously, it's, you're, you're right. He could probably only get into the top eight um, without winning a race before the final uh, the final round. So uh, I guess we probably won't see that. I still think it's good. I'm just surprised that. Uh, that JGR is coming on so strong now. That's the real question now. 
um, uh, is is Hendrick uh, going to reemerge? Because it seems like it seems like every race, somebody from the Hendrick uh, group is starting in the back because they failed inspection, which means obviously uh, they have they, they got the the microscope out on on that team, and uh, and they're going to catch everything. So is NASCAR pulling them back right at the time? that uh, uh, will hurt them enough that some that JGR can can go ahead of them. And and the question being, is JGR with their performance? Are they not skirting the rule? I thought they all did. You know, the question yeah. is, who's being who's being looked at the most? And it seems like Hendrick is being looked at the most during pre-race inspection, just based on the fact that it seems like one or two of their drivers have to go to the back of the pack to start each race over the last three or four races. Right, yeah, we have Larson and back-to-back races. All great points, and we do. We don't know physically who all. I could just. I think Dan, is it fair to say we could assume that just about every playoff team is pushing just about every limit that they know how to push, right? I mean, I, at this I point, think, they're rolling out I the best the, stuff, and usually it's the playoff drivers that are in the top sixteen every race. That's, I don't that, think the microscope is out on the Hendrick deal. I think that they are trying so many different things that push the envelope that if if one or two things get caught so be it we're going to try to get by with some other things that we're trying and this is where i think the difference is and you've got to do that i'm I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do but they're i think they're playing every card in the deck plus some just to see what they can get by with for these last races because i think we're down to the fact that as 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 you and Eric both pointed out, is points are important, but they're not going to be enough. You're going to yeah, have right. to win races to win this championship, as we've seen in the past. And it doesn't make the racing bad. It doesn't change anything. All it does is adds more intrigue to, okay, so we're assuming that either Gibbs or Hendrick is going to win the championship. And it's like last year where, where Chase came out of the blue to 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 cement himself in these things and this is what i see gaining momentum maybe for this year and the the deal at richmond didn't surprise me at all with gibbs running as good as he did there and it's only one race and a lot of these races coming are definitely hendrick trucks but yeah one thing that hendrick uh excelled at that is not as prominent in the playoffs as it is during the regular season is 550 tracks it's the same strength that Stuart Haas racing had last year so you just got to wonder you know and they, they've got it when they're in the situation they're in right now they've obviously got to press with the 48 and the 24 teams they've got to press hard with those teams to be sure at Bristol they don't because because let's just put it let me let's put it flatly William Byron especially that 24 car unloaded garbage. Yeah. He was barely cracked the top 15, I think, the whole night. And that's surprising to think that they would be that far off when the stakes are so high. And I think, Eric, you were about to say something. Well, no, no, go ahead. No, I was I just, you, you just heard me burp. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's uh, <laughs> you know. I started Wait, to hey. say something. And then, uh, no, I didn't. No, I, uh, go ahead. 
I thought I, I thought I'd stand in front of you there, but that's I mean that's just something to consider too. Is just I think when you knock a team and especially a little bit younger drivers on their heels like that, how do they perform under this pressure? This year they haven't been under that pressure because Bowman and Byron won early. Chase Elliott's been consistent all year. Took them a little while to win the race. It wasn't until Circuit of the Americas, and Kyle Larson's pretty much unloaded fast. But so they haven't been under the pressure so much yet this year uh, until now. And I, I wonder, it's hard to imagine both Bowman and Byron leaving Bristol in great shape. However, at Darlington, over half of the playoff field had some sort of issue in that race. That could easily yeah. happen again at Bristol, where it's even harder to get out of the way and harder to make up time because the track is so short. So, Well, you know, I, I know that Larson uh, kind of feels like he had a good week because I think he hates Richmond. And I, I, so the, what did he come in? Same with Blaney. Something? What's that? Uh, same with Blaney, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's not an easy track, and there's well, some drivers, I, when they're off, they're off, yeah. I mean, just going to where Dan was going, where you're going, I know that the Hendrick drivers, and I would assume Hendrick himself, feels like they've got some good tracks in front of them yeah. uh, that they're that they're set up for. Uh, you know, that going back to what we were talking about with uh, the change in racing at Richmond that we're talking about with the downforce and all that, is the next gen, is that going to do anything for that, or is, there, is that going to help that? So, is there a thought? That it'll help on they the have not like announced or, or no. They they have not announced the specific specs for both horsepower, spoiler, downforce, all that, and how they're going to deploy them at different size tracks. Although it's been said unofficially, and I listen, you know, I'm referencing this almost every week, listening to the Door Bumper Clear podcast, the Spotters podcast from uh, Dale Jr.'s Dirty Mo Media, and they pretty they they said flatly that it's going to be. They're going to have 650 horsepower in the next gen car, at least at the short tracks. They didn't say about the bigger tracks, so mm-hmm. that so they're going to have even less throttle response. I don't know what the downforce ratio for that's going to be, but I will say both at Darlington and this week at Richmond, the better racing, especially Darlington, has been attributed to the fact that the drivers have more to play with under that right foot than when you have the 550 package at you know the other like you, you know, said, two, slot or, cars, this, the tracks, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, it hasn't been announced. Uh, and so one thing, and so that that'll be interesting to follow and see how that unfolds for next year. But the racing in Richmond and how it lost the spice it used to have in the mid two thousands. You think about the the epic uh, Kevin Harvick Jeff Green clashes, Ricky Rudd Kevin Harvick, and some of those deals. That and, and then the high drama back when the the chase had a, when it was called the chase and had a different format. And and the races have lost their luster. So let, that really sets us up nicely to talk about the 2022 schedule. And, yes, this is five to go. We have five different subjects we uh, go through each week. Sometimes we don't get to them all. This 2022 schedule, they could unfold into its own episode if we wanted it to because one of the things that happens with the 2022 schedule, and I'm not going to say the whole order of the schedule or anything like that. You can find that online. But Richmond will no longer host a playoff race. It used to be the regular season cutoff race. Then they moved the race inside the playoffs to boost the number of short tracks. And now it's going to be outside the playoffs, uh, but uh, a little bit before Daytona. So that's one of the changes. Another change is that Homestead moves from March to go inside the playoffs. Circuit of the Americas moves from May up until March. Uh, There's a Kansas race is going to switch to a different time in the playoffs. A couple of others. The Bristol Dirt Race, boys, is going to run at night. On Easter, they're not going to have Easter as an off week. In fact, there will only be one off week the entire year. And uh, that, so that's definitely raised some eyebrows. And then an, uh, another thing, too, is that the Clash is going to move from Daytona Road Course, where it only lasted one season, to the L.A. Coliseum on a makeshift track two weeks before the Daytona 500, the week before the Super Bowl. So 
Dan Elliott, who has seen many renditions of the schedule, including when the season used to start in Richmond. Dan, give us some thoughts here of what do you think about the schedule? And we talked a little bit about the clash last week, but now it's official. I think it's, uh, to me, I think it's brilliant on NASCAR's part because I, I can see them trying to shake this up because, to me, it's almost like COVID woke them up to what is possible by being the first ones back on TV and, you know, back running back and, and being able to do this because you're, you're, you're a different situation because you're in cars. It's, it's not a group of players, people all out together. It's, it's, you can have your social distancing and, and still get Mm -hmm. your sport run as, as it is. And and I love the ideas of what they're doing, and the fact that even what Ben Kennedy said about NASCAR seems to be okay going head to head with these other professional leagues. Yeah, that they're not scared at all about the time slots anymore, and they've always been very careful of that. Now it's almost as if purposely they're going to show that they can do this and pull us off, and I believe they can. Now, one thing I wanted to add to, guys, and I'm sorry, I left the biggest headline besides the L.A. Coliseum clash, and that's that Gateway is going to be a new track added to the schedule next year. Gateway or Worldwide Technology Raceway outside of St. Louis is going to replace one of Pocono's two dates. So there will no longer be a Pocono doubleheader. Instead, they will go to Gateway outside of St. Louis. So that adds another, it's not quite a short track, but it's a mile track. So it's not a big uh, downforce track, so to speak. Uh, but that will be put into the regular season there. So those are some good points, Dan. And NASCAR being bold and unafraid to go up against the big stick of ball sports. I mentioned the Kansas race changing. Uh, it, the Kansas race is going to go from uh, in October or so to being what this past weekend, the 9-11 weekend, was and take Richmond's spot in the playoffs, essentially move up. Uh, so Kansas is going to have its race go up against the Kansas City Chiefs opening football game, essentially, right? Uh, which is could be considered questionable. So, Eric, you know, you're a huge NFL fan. I know you balance your racing and football diet there. What do you think about some of the schedule changes and maybe in particular this idea of going against the NFL since you think higher well, or you think I, I a lot know. about it? <laughs> First of all, I don't know if they're economy of scale. They, they may know, hey, if we get $3 million or we get two point five, you know, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about that. I would not go up against the NFL. The NFL just on their first Monday night football game had 16 million people <laughs> watching their first Monday night football game. So, but that obviously NASCAR is not looking for a number like that. I don't know what their number Gosh, is. That's an for insane me, number, Eric. Si- did you is, say 16? Well, yeah, God. almost 16 million people. Uh, for uh, can we just end the podcast? No, I'm I'm depressed. Okay, no, no I'm not. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. but I mean, I don't know. NASCAR's economy of scale might be that if we can get 2.5, if we can get three, I don't know exactly what what it is. I've said for a very long time. I think once the NFL season starts, um, it should be mostly Saturday night races. You know, I know that that when it was mostly a Southern sport, which I guess it still mostly is, but not as much as it used to be. You'd be cla- you know. Pick your poison. You're clashing with college football, which is yeah. huge in the South. If you if if you go to Saturday nights, but I've always I would like to you know I'd like to see the whole NASCAR season basically start right after the NFL season ends and kind of come to a conclusion, if not right before the NFL NFL starts, somewhere very close 
to that because I think for a guy like me anyway, I now we can watch different screens and stuff. So I just have the I have the race on a different screen while I watch football, but I'm not as uh, I'm not as informed on the race because usually I've got the sound up on the football and I'm so it's like watching a race at a sports bar or something, right? Sports I'm not bar. The, yeah. I'm not getting all the. Uh, I'm not getting all the color and, and maybe not knowing why a pitch strategy went wrong, things like that. Yeah. So I'm not, I got to say, I'm not, I'm not following it as much as I normally would. Now, on, I have been somebody who has been very happy that NASCAR has shaken things up and been bold. And I've, for years on this podcast, years ago, I complained because they weren't doing that. So I don't want to, I, I always want to encourage that. But I have to say, I have not been able to get my mind around this uh, clash, first of all, yeah. two weeks before the Daytona 500, and secondly, inside the L.A. Coliseum, and you know, building a dirt track, and I don't know, I don't know. Well, no, it's well it's going to be an asphalt track. Oh, it's going to be asphalt. I'm sorry. I yeah, it's not a dirt race. Uh, it's going to be a, and they're going to put dirt down and then put asphalt on top of it. Okay, that's where I got confused. Okay, but they're putting in a temporary track, and my question is. If that's the first event uh, of the of of the season, do we know that they that there's a market in Los Angeles? That's a big stadium. That is not going to look good on television. If, if you know Los Angeles, it's hard to get people to do. Uh, the NFL wasn't in Los Angeles for what thirty years, twenty five, how long years? Very long time. They were not in 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 that in that market because the NFL had trouble getting yeah. people to buy tickets and go see. So I don't know. It just seems so weird to me. I've been in that stadium. I'll be watching. Don't get me wrong. I'll be watching. But is it a good idea? I mean, all these cars have to be flown to Los Angeles two weeks before Daytona. Well, they're going to drive them. It, excuse me? I oh, mean, I'm they're going to drive okay. them out there. Yeah. They, they will transport them on the <laughs> transporters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I I don't know what I'm thinking. But you gotta you've gotta transport all that stuff out there for a nine points race. Um and then two weeks later you gotta start your season in, in Daytona. I, I don't know. I, I I don't that one seems weird to me. If they were already out mm-hmm. there on the west coast, you know, I could see trying to fit something in like that. But I don't know. Would you like it, Dan, if you had to deal with this? It's like, oh my I'm worried about a points race to start at Daytona. And I got to go through all of these logistics and machinations for a non-points race, and we don't even know if we're going to sell tickets. It seems weird to me. Yeah, Dan, yeah. What do you think? You're, you, as a competitor, you're not concerned about whether they sell tickets or don't sell tickets. All they do is tell you where and when to be, and you show up. That that yeah, pretty I, much yeah. covers it. So, that pretty much covers it for me in the racing deal, and then me as a fan. I'm probably going to love every minute of this because I'm thinking, what else are they going to throw with this? Am I going to get to see? Uh, am I going to get to see some of my favorite stars do a concert or a show out here right. while I'm out here, or sure. or am I going to get to see a big wrestling event while I'm out here, or what right. am I going to do? Because this to me is just—it's so unique in the opportunities that this will present that. If, if I'm excited about this, then you know maybe I've got fever or something. But it's, <laughs> it's 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 one of those things where I'm looking at it on the positive side of 
at least it's something different. They're trying something yeah. different, and and let's see where this goes. Do you guys, hey, so do you guys here's think, one thing, too, to take note of. Go ahead, Eric. No, do you think that there's a chance that they're, that this is a test run to see if they could do a points race out there? Because to me, if it was a points race, I think I would be more – it would make more sense to me uh, yeah. uh, whether it was a one-off or, or whether they were trying to like the dirt race at Bristol, it would make more sense to me. It's just the idea of it being a non points yeah. race um, for all of that. You know, I, if, if they were out on the West coast, is there any chance that they're just kind of looking at it to see if that's something that they could do, that they would want to do a points race there in the future? Or so, is this just exhibition all the way? Well, so, I mean, I think it's definitely, I mean, they're replacing the Clash, so even if it became a points race, then you'd have to wonder, okay, what what does the Clash turn back into, right? But there's the thing that stuck out to me, and it didn't occur to me when this news came out. I mean, it came out unofficially last week that it was official on Tuesday, uh, the the day before release of the schedule. But here's the first thing, or one of the things I thought, not the first thing, is the rumor has been – I mean, no, not the rumor. They announced that Auto Club Speedway, which is in the same market – is going to be reduced from a two-mile track to a half-mile track and made it to a short track. And then we didn't go out there for two uh, for a whole season because of COVID, and then we're returning there in 2022, and it's, it's supposed to be the last race on the two-mile configuration, with 2023 being the year it opens as a short track. So I'm wondering, is Auto Club Speedway, there's been rumors that they're actually just going to sell it. And shut it down, and that that whole short track thing is going away. And maybe they're seeing it this exhibition race if a short track at the L.A. Coliseum could be a replacement. Now, I mean, because to me it's counterintuitive to think you're going to the same market twice at different tracks to race on short tracks in a market that's not already a NASCAR market, right? So I, right. I, that's, it's weird well, that's to me to I mean. invent yeah, two well, short I mean, tracks out there, I guess. But that that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what I mean. Is, is this a way to see what this would look like if at some point in the future uh, yeah. you could say, okay, we, we can go ahead and do a points race there because we've seen what it looks like and uh, we'll, we'll have a good race that's you know fair to the competitors. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, Bob Pachris from Fox Sports, he did a commentary, a video commentary about some of his, some of his thoughts on it. And I, I really respect what people that are that are normally just straight-laced media actually do a commentary because they're backing it up with all the things that the facts that they use that were making straight-laced media instead of being just talking heads, right? And yeah. Bob Pachris made a great point about the people that are saying, why in the heck would you truck across the country and have only half or so of the NASCAR garage go out there to run an exhibition race that's way shorter than a normal race to tear up a brand new race car, right? Because the next gen car, which may have a shortage of parts, that's you know, what I'm talking part about. does. Yeah. yeah. So why would you do all that and, and not go to Bowman Gray, which is also a quarter mile track on a football field? In Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he said, number one, the weather in Winston-Salem in February, and that part of February, not great. And then just number two, that track doesn't have the, the 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 facility just doesn't have what you would need to put on a cup race up there. And and then and then the other thing too, and this is something I never heard before, guys. It's it's amazing all the things you learn when you read press releases, huh? That yeah. L.A. in terms of not percentage and not share. But in terms of sheer number, has the largest number of NASCAR fans in the U.S. 
I'm like, what? what you, I mean, I've never heard that as an excuse to go out there, but that's something yeah. that's being kicked around. <laughs> well, obviously they saw that. And, and it's, now, do we know for a fact that it's going to be the next gen car? Or are they going to allow them to have one more exhibition race with the old car? Is that the first time we're going to see the next gen car is going to be on uh, a yeah. novelty track? That seems weird to me. <laughs> Either that or the first time we were going to see it was going to be on Daytona. So originally, yeah, when, yeah. when the next gen car was supposed to debut this year, it was supposed to debut in the Daytona 500, and the Clash was going to be run with the old inventory of what, what are yeah. the current race cars now. So I don't know if they're going to deploy that next year or not. They haven't said. It's assumed it will be the next-gen car, and I think it's a bad look for it not to be the next-gen car, but it may be necessary if the supply is short. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. So, um, but that's, Well, that I would part say of based on the fact that – Go ahead, Dean. I'd say based on the fact that you're you're not a points race, and I love the idea of going out there in the Coliseum for not a points race because, to me, you can go out there and and I'm not going to say that you can beat and bang on everybody, but let's say that you can go out there and lean on people and, and see some of the racing as you used to see it. And I would definitely do yeah. it with the old car and, and, yeah. and use my old inventory. And this is why, to me, that it's important that it's not a points race because you can lean on people without being called to the big white trailer after the race is over. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's a good what point. I, that, yeah. that's what I that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking is they would probably I would be surprised, but maybe I I will be if if they didn't say yeah that's going to be uh, the 2021 car at that at the clash and then starting at Daytona is the next gen. Yes. Yeah, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think it's really going to depend. Hey, so by the way, and this is, we, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we've, we've talked a lot, uh, and sometimes in weeks you've been off air, but we've talked a lot about the development of the next gen car and then some of the kinks we've, they've run into, some of the rumors that have come out about it. But something that is not a rumor that did happen last week is for two days, a, a big group of drivers too, more like 10 drivers as opposed to the one, two or three that have run at a time before tested at Daytona in the next-gen car, on the two-and-a-half-mile high-bank super speedway package, and they seemed to be able to draft. It, it, it was, it was a, I think, a two seconds maybe slower than the normal lap time there, but it still, to the naked eye, I think, looked pretty similar. But the comments that stood out were from, who do they normally stick out from? Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin, who said that the heat inside of the car, because the car is so sealed off, was almost unbearable in there. And they've got to be able to work on the heat and the yeah. airflow inside of the race car to be able to make it drivable, or else they're going to have some serious problems. And other drivers echoed that. That's been, by the way, uh, the culprit for that has been how the exhaust is, is set up and how it's bundled and it goes right under the driver's seat. And it's different than how it is now also as part of it. So uh, there, there's some things there that they have to work out about that car. And I sure hope it's ready for showtime, whether it's in the L.A. Coliseum or on, in the Daytona 500 in 2022. I want to jump to silly season real quick and then talk a little bit of F1 boys, if you don't mind. Um, this, this is stuff that, again, and you boys don't, don't follow Xfinity and trucks as closely as I do, but just some other pieces, dominoes starting to fall here. Sheldon Creed, who is the defending truck series champion, he's also in this season won the first two playoff races, kind of throwing a little shade over and taking a little attention away from John Hunter Nemechek. But Sheldon Creed is going to move to RCR's Xfinity team full-time next year. RCR did not announce that their current driver, Myatt Snyder, who got his first win this season in the two-car, is staying or not, or if they're going to have two teams or what's happening. But 
The fact that Myatt Snyder's plans have not been announced, I think, says a lot. And Creed does bring money with him, so that helps. Justin Allgaier is returning for what I think is a seventh season and the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet with Brandt as the main sponsor there. There really haven't been any cup driver news coming about, although there's some rumors that Ty Dillon is going to be the pick for a GMS racing when they do their cup ride next season. And Dillon has scraped around this year with several different teams in the top two series. And then here's a big one. This is nostalgic. You knew it was coming because the results haven't been there and because the, the guy's pushing an age. We'll say that to Elio Castroneves. But nonetheless, Ryan Hunter Ray, Team Andretti Autosport, announced that Ryan Hunter Ray, after many years with their race team, is no longer going to drive in that DHL uh, familiar yellow Indy car in the Indy car series. So, uh, best wishes to him. I don't know if he's going to take a lesser ride or part time or what, but he is not going to be in his familiar car next year. And that that that's a guy, guys. I always felt like he was overshadowed by Castroneves and Franchitti and and others in the series over Dixon, the years. Will Power, yeah, but Ryan Hunter got... Ray was Mister Dependable. So, cheers to him. Yeah, I, I've gotten to meet I, him in interviews. I'm surprised that he's not leaving on his own terms. That that does surprise me. It, I mean, it wasn't voiced like he's being fired. It was. I mean, it was sort of like mutually. Oh, I think it's one of those out. where they it he's looks mutual, out. but it ain't. <laughs> yeah, he's being pushed out. He's being nudged out. Put it that way. That surprised yeah, me. Yeah, he's had a, he's had a very off year and hasn't been part of the conversation at all. By the way, Alex Pillow goes to victory lane in the Portland IndyCar race and retakes the points lead. A very tight points battle. By the way, they got no playoffs. And uh, IndyCar, just so you know. Very tight points battle between Alex Pillow, Paddle Award, Marcus Erickson, uh, and Joseph Newgarden there. And, and Scott Dixon, throw him in the mix, too, uh, going in. But it looks like it's Pillow versus Paddle Award. Uh, the Spaniard versus the Mexican driver. Big stuff there mm-hmm. in the IndyCar series. And then i got to jump to Formula One, whose points battle, boys, is even tighter. And, well, an error canceled the two drivers out, essentially, of results in Monza, with Daniel Ricciardo getting his first win in three years. The two title titans, they tangled. When Lewis Hamilton was leaving pit road, he was just blending onto the track and really into his first turn after blending. Max Verstappen comes to his outside. Hamilton is a nose ahead of him or so, or half a car ahead, I guess. And uh, But Hamilton arcs out to make the corner and puts Verstappen into the curbing, and Verstappen launches over the top of Hamilton's car, and the rear wheel, the rear left wheel, I believe, of Hamilton's Red Bull ride narrowly misses Lewis Hamilton's head, and they're both done for the race, kind of wedged into each other there, and takes them out. And so, guys, uh, Eric, since you you follow it more closely, these guys have tangled again, and it doesn't seem like there's as much bad blood between the drivers, but between the teams and the team principals, it is awful chippy. And here we are, a points battle that's extremely close, and once again, the drivers end up... uh, well, making contact. What do you think about it all? Well, yeah, it was more than contact. Now, I didn't. I I have not seen this race. This is. I've been following Formula One very close because I think this is the really kind of the best battle. I may be wrong, uh, but uh, Lewis Hamilton was battling uh, Kim, uh, the son of a famous driver a few years ago, and he he lost. Nico, right? Yeah, that. Yeah, that was wrong. A, that yeah, was Nico a, Rosberg. Yeah. yeah, that was a fun one. Um, and I've been following this one, didn't see this race. So I had to go look at this incident and I don't know about what led up to it. I wasn't, all I can say is I'm just glad they're all right. And I guess, uh, I'm glad that they put that halo, uh, a few seasons back on the formula one car, because it looks like Hamilton would, his life may have been in danger if, if the halo wouldn't have been there. So I'm just, 
I'm glad about that. I mean, these are two, these, these are two, a couple of the best racers in the world right now. And I, I would just, I would feel terrible if, uh, if, if this competition had turned into something that had, you know, harmed them in some way or God forbid someone lose their yeah. life. So I didn't, I don't know who to blame or not to blame because I wasn't watching it. I just said it from a point of view of I'm glad the halo's there and I'm glad they're both all right because they are a blast to watch race each other. And they do have, unlike with Nico Rosberg, I think the two drivers have a genuine respect for each other with Nico and, and Lewis Hamilton. I don't know. I felt like there was a, I, I felt like there was some animosity. Maybe I, maybe it was overplayed. Oh yeah, being teammates for one, that didn't help. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. So um, this is this has been a very good battle in Formula One between two people who show complete respect for one another out of the car and 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 race each other, you know, like crazy when they're on the track. So I, I just don't have enough information because I didn't watch the race. All I can say is I'm just glad they're all right, and uh, certainly I'm glad that that halo is there. Oh, for sure. And look, uh, the, the teams though, have been real chippy. Uh, you know, Christian Horner is the team principal of Red Bull and uh, Tito, uh, Toto Wolf, rather not Tito, Toto Wolf at Mercedes. And they both, I mean, have been toe to toe, just really under each other's skin. If you remember when Verstappen and Hamilton clashed in turn one, uh, and they did have a bit yeah. of a clash in turn one of Monza this past week when they clashed a few weeks ago in the middle of the summer. I mean, Red Bull went and made a whole case to Formula One with PowerPoints and videos. They even had Alex Albon test a car and try to replicate the the incident or whatever to show how Verstappen wasn't in the wrong when he got a penalty. And Verstappen is going to get a three-grid penalty, a three-place penalty on the race coming up here because of uh making the move it causes the wreck essentially right you know and that could be argued it, to me it looked like a racing incident i kind of wish they would just not have any penalty and just uh say hey two guys went for the yeah. same spot and they lost <laughs> i mean i don't know That's... I, i'm like you i'm like you dougie that was a racing deal and and you saw you you kind of saw it coming but i really didn't think that it would end up and i think had it not been for the 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 the, the bumps that you get on when you when you get off the corner the there had it not been for those i i don't think that that there would have been any problem i think they would have raced down but uh definitely uh they've been following the nascar playbook because if i can't race <laughs> you i'm gonna drive through you or over you so so it was a good race and and i enjoyed that and um i, I hate it that it ended up the way it did but um it also lets you know too that uh, these are two seasoned veterans, and and they're going to fight to the finish. Yeah, I it, think absolutely. It, it, yeah, it's exciting. Like I say, I have to go get watch it in, in full to uh, to get the context. But if it, if it wasn't obviously egregious on the part of Verstappen, I would. I, I I'm on you guys. They took themselves out, right? There's they're, they're, they basically go the next week where they were before, right? They by taking themselves right. out. They, no one was harmed more, and then for the sport to come in and harm one driver yeah. more than the other, I haven't really looked it's at it. It's not right to now, me. Yeah, now that I'm look, when I go look at it, I'm going to be looking at something egregious from Verstappen, and if it's not there, I'm going to think it was uh, silly to do the uh, the three-grid penalty. Yeah, and I mean, Verstappen has eight poles this year, so... 
I get, you know, he'll start first the next week. They they run off fourth, and you know, hopefully, hopefully not lose the race yeah. in the first turn, right? It's it's incredible yeah. to see Daniel Ricardo and, and McLaren. That was literally McLaren's first win since Lewis Hamilton had left the team, I think, or, or something like that. It was, and they led their first laps in years. And to see them go to victory lane, and then to see Lando Norris there fourth in the standings too, that's quite a comeback. And and it's just it's good to see more than Mercedes just talked about. It's definitely not just Mercedes and the others. It really is Mercedes and Red Bull is the top two, but the middle class and Formula One yeah. is something that I think the NASCAR is lacking right now. It seems yeah, like there's yeah, just absolutely. a big upper class and then the super lower class and not a huge middle class. But uh, but in Formula One, the yeah. middle class was really thrilling to watch. No, the middle of the pack this this year has been a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot going on, and you feel like there's a lot of teams who are getting very close to uh, to joining the the front runners. And uh, but usually what happens is those drivers get stolen by the front runners anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, so let's uh, talk about that. Team, yeah. So just to put a bow on that too, because so Kimi Raikkonen announces his retirement two weeks ago, and then promptly misses the next two races with COVID nineteen. Um, that's, that's, that's just what bad luck there to to have those go uh, coincide, but his position opens up a spot for Alfa Romeo to hire Valtteri Botas, who is now out at Mercedes and is going to Alfa Romeo there. And, and he may have a different teammate right now. It's Antonio Giovinazzi, the Gio, oh man, did I say Nazi? I didn't mean, oh, Giovinazzi. Yes, that's it. Okay. Antonio Giovinazzi. Yeah, I, I was like, wait, did I mispronounce that? I don't say it out loud very often. And then, uh, but, uh, and then also you have, so with the seat open in Mercedes, no surprise, George Russell promoted from Williams to that ride. And some saying, uh, quite an interesting move for them to, to, to pick a driver that could be seen as an alpha and an up and comer to challenge Lewis Hamilton instead of getting another driver that would just be happy to take the ride like Botas was. And then right. that opens up the spot of Williams and guess who comes out of the sidelines? Alex Albon. The displaced Red Bull driver who's still under contract with them, he'll get another shot at full-time Formula One. Albon there with the second Williams car, um, and that their second driver, Nicholas Latifi. I don't know that they've announced they're bringing him back yet or not. So some Formula One moves there. It's it just those are fun to talk about. But uh, uh, Dan and I, uh, Eric, spent a good time telling a story last week about Kimi Raikkonen wanting his massage table brought up to his test at Gresham Motorsports Park, which is just a great story. Uh, you've since you've watched it even more deeply than I have. I mean, that's an Eric coming to an end, right, Eric? I know he took a couple years off from F1, but he's been wallpaper yeah. in that series. and going to be hard to imagine him not yeah. being there. I've always been a little surprised when these drivers come back just to kind of ride around. So it's not, it's been less than inspiring now, but, uh, he was, uh, he was a lot of fun to watch when, when he was, you know, when he was, when he was in his peak. Uh, he had a weird kind of, uh, demeanor, uh, in some ways, uh, very stoic, but in other ways temperamental at times. Yeah, and uh, he, he was he was fun. He was he was fun to watch. Did he win? I know he did. He win two championships along the way. I think he um one championship, I, I, one just one championship. But he was yeah. fun to watch when uh when when he was in his prime. You know, Michael Schumacher before he had his uh, his skiing accident. Um, he came back for a while and just sort of drove around. I, I haven't quite understood. Uh, these, you know, obviously Kimmy is not Michael Schumacher, but I never understood these sort of champions in Formula One who who leave the sport and then come back in sort of mid marker or back marker cars. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess, what it is is it's the money number one and number two. You're helping the team, right? We we want we we need to have the feedback from somebody that we know we can trust. 
to so you spend the money to go get somebody, and they're there to help you build the team. They're not necessarily there to build to win races or get on the podium so much. Yeah. And it's kind of a letdown as a fan when you when you see these guys that were at, at one point, you know, at the top of their game, and, and then they usually leave the sport near or at the top of their game. And then quite often this happens in Formula One where they come back and they just sort of drive around. So I got to feel like that's like that that's a challenge for them to go to a team and maybe give them feedback and help them build their build their program because it's it's not about getting on the podium with uh with with a lot of this. Although you things weird things could happen and you could end up on the podium. Uh but uh yeah, it was he was he was a fun driver. To, I remember one, I think uh there was a uh, when he was in his prime there was uh a race uh in uh Monaco where he wrecked out and by the end of the race, he was on one of the yachts with his ah. friends, his rich, crazy rich friends watching the race from the yacht. So he, he was a little bit of a character, but strangely enough, also very kind of stoic at the same time. Interesting person. He, very interesting. The Iceman, as they called him. And, and he did. And all those years that he came back, he was competitive when, when he went from Lotus to Ferrari. Ferrari, he did win a race in 2018, I believe it was. Uh, there is Vettel's teammate. So he, he did manage to squeeze, but it was nothing like what his career was before he quit it to go, to do the right. experiment in NASCAR and some of the other stuff he did. So cheers to Kimmy Raikkonen. Hey, Kimmy, you deserve two episodes in a row that five to go talks about you there. I'm sure <laughs> that uh, your manager is telling you about it as you speak. Okay. So yeah, as we speak. So, but, uh, cheers to him. Uh, Dan, any parting thoughts for you as we wrap up episode 149 at five to go? No, I noticed the comment that Tony Stewart had made that he wished one of his regrets was not getting Kyle Larson. And if if he had have gotten Kyle Larson, how different would this be today? Would it be different? Mm. Would mm-hmm. Kyle be winning races in Tony's cars? Uh, would he be as competitive? Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't uh, think he would have won five races in the All-Star race, but I do think he'd run better than probably everybody but Kevin Harvick. I think he'd go toe-to-toe with Harvick, and they'd have two good horses in their stable, and, you know, uh, as, uh, as hey, opposed to, yeah. Kyle Larson, like, Kev, like Kevin Harvick, is going to uh, give you the best results that you can possibly get from your equipment. He, he showed that at Ganassi. Um, the question is, what about the equipment? Right. So he's he's in the right place now because he's one of the better drivers that we have and he's in some of the best equipment that we have. Uh, my 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 thing with uh, with Stuart Haas is right now, I feel like I mean, I know Eric Almorales jumped up and won a race, but it's Kevin Harvick who's just being steady, 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 getting yep. the most out of that equipment. So what I do know is that like Kevin Harvick, I believe Kyle Larson will be getting the most out of the equipment. But, you know, what? You know, whether he'd be able to go out there and win a bunch of races it, with that equipment in this season, I, I would, I would doubt that. Although my parting shot off, off kind of jumps off that when you were talking Please. about that, it, re, it reminded me that, um, Kyle Larson gave an interview, uh, I don't know if it was a couple seasons back where he basically said, as far as I'm concerned, Hendrick cheats every week. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they win so much. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll you go back and find that interview. I came across that a couple of weeks ago. So obviously he was like, hey, I want to get in that equipment because what we call cheating, really, we understand is you want to be with a, a team that is going to push the envelope and get as much yeah. out of the vehicle as they can so that you can get in the car and push the envelope during the race and get as much out of the vehicle 
as you can. Uh, that, yeah, I, I yep. also think that he I'll, said that, and and he immediately walked it back after taking some pretty big criticism for it, considering <laughs> that Ganassi is an engine partner with Hendrick and a Chevy team and right. all that. I think he had to. I think he had to reel that one back in, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure looking at what his prospects were, of, uh, I know you had something to say, Dan. Looking at what his prospects were, <laughs> he's glad that he took the Hendrick ride because Ford shot down him going to Stuart Haas after the controversy last year. Right. The, the word is anyway that Ford shot it down, and Rick Hendrick made sure that he piled up with Kyle Larson early in those proceedings to have the inside line on him. And sure enough, they wanted out. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, it's hard to come in and say anything much at all against the the hand that feeds you, so to speak. <laughs> so that's that's one thing about the sport that that I really that that really to me over time has changed a good bit is the fact that everyone is dependent on these t- these top tier teams, and you just can't go in and say anything without offending a lot of people. That's a good point. Absolutely. Hey, uh, my 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 uh, parting shot here is I want to bring up the points battle that no one else is talking about, at least on the mainstream side, and it's because it's hard to quantify and it's hard to really dig up the numbers and and know exactly uh, you know what's the line. What people don't talk about a lot is how and this and this was brought to my attention by uh, there was a Reddit thread that was started, and I don't even get on Reddit, but the, there's a Twitter account called NASCAR Reddit that shows sort of their highlighted posts. All right, so sometimes. And some of the real fan, I mean, they go and dig out some obscure stuff, stats and whatnot. And it's the battle for the top 25 and owners points in the Cup Series and how there's a million-dollar payoff for those teams at the end of the year if you finish in the top 25. And that battle is extremely close between the 37 car, Brian Priest, the 43 of Eric Jones, Cole Custer, and a couple of other drivers there. And if you think about when the chase started, they used to have a million-dollar payoff for who finished 11th, the best of the rest. This is, although all the teams in the top 25 get this bonus, whoever finishes 26 does not. So this is a battle for the best of the rest right here. And again, like Ryan, Ryan Newman's sixth team, Daniel Suarez and the 99 are all part of it, and they're in a very close umbrella. And it would be fun if TV, that gave them an excuse, and radio too, to talk about that. But it's hard yeah. to quantify because those aren't, the easiest yeah. stats to look up and make people care about to the same point there is a battle to be that rick Ware racing you can't finish in the bottom three of the charter teams you know it's a 34 35th to 36 three years in a row or you lose your charter and rick Ware pretty much has a close race between the being in the bottom three or the bottom four between his teams and so they got to figure out between the drivers and whatnot who they can put in where and how they finish so they don't end up, by NASCAR's discretion, losing a charter, which that NASCAR probably wouldn't decide to do. These same battles that I just mentioned also exist in the Xfinity and the Truck Series. Also, in the Xfinity Series, you have to finish the top 20 in the owner's points to be able to get a certain payoff each week, and the top 30 the same way, and those battles are all really close, and we saw that come to a head. This is the last thing I'll say about it. When the Xfinity race this past weekend won by Noah Gregson, who won his second race in a row after having more than a year-long winless streak, but coming to a stage when A.J. Allmendinger wins a stage because the lap car of David Starr was blocking Tommy Joe Martins, who was about to win his first career stage. Martins is trying to finish in the top 20 in owner's points to get a certain bonus. David Starr's team was fighting hard to stay in the top 30 and get his bonus. And they clashed coming to the end for a stage win. These are things that I think would make, if we knew about them, guys, that they were more prominent, 
it's kind of obscure, right? But it, but there's a lot on the line for these teams that makes it the difference between them staying open in the off season or not for some of the smaller teams. And props to Zach Sternoglio on frontstretch.com for, uh, for pointing that out. So I'll, I'll give him some credit there. I don't know if y'all, y'all are akin to those things or not, but that's something that got pointed out to me. And I, th- I thought it was pretty interesting. I don't know, I don't know who I'm you... akin to. I'm trying to keep up with that right <laughs> yeah. now. Uh, aware of is what I meant to say. I, I ran out of the right words okay. there. But boys, thank you for hearing that and for uh, being a part of this today. And Eric, it's great to have you back and, and, uh, fresh and everything. And, and you're probably a little more refreshed than the rest of us because I know you did not watch the news for about 10 days there. So hope you feel nice and dry, sir. I'll take I'll take that as a yes. Oh yeah, he had to drop off. Okay, whoops, he lost service. Okay, hey, well Dan, you have a great week, Eric. You too. Be sure to like our Five to Go Racing Facebook page there. We put up the new episodes and sometimes some articles. I'll dig up that front stretch article and put it there. So for Eric von Hessler, Dan, I hope you have a great week, sir. It's so great to have you on. Yeah. But for Eric and Dan, I'm Doug Turnbull, and thank you all for listening to Five to Go. We'll talk to you after Bristol. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.